Amen. Well, good morning again, and I invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. And we've got a short portion of Scripture today, verses 53 through 58. Matthew chapter 13, verses 53 through 58. And I invite you to follow along as you uh, read the Scripture with me. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James, Joseph, and Simon, and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Over the past few Sundays, we've been working through Matthew 13, in particular, the parables of the kingdom. And in these parables, they have revealed the secrets or the, the mysteries of the kingdom. In particular, they've revealed the, the reception of the kingdom, the, the growth of the kingdom, and the value of the kingdom. Specifically, the, the kingdom, as we have seen, is only made known to those who have hearts prepared to receive it. If your heart's not soft, if your heart is not uh, on good soil, if you will, in the analogy, then, then you will not be able to receive the kingdom. You will not be able to see it. Similarly, its growth at the present time is, is hidden. It's beneath the surface. It's like a, a seed in the ground or leaven in a lump of dough. You, you can't see it, but it is growing, and in the future it will be revealed to be the greatest of all the kingdoms. And finally, we saw that its riches are incalculable, immeasurable to those who, who seek the kingdom with their whole heart. In other words, to see the kingdom, we have learned, one must receive its king with a believing heart. To see the kingdom, must, one must receive the king with a believing heart. Otherwise, you will be, as Jesus said in, in, in verses 13 through 15, those who hear but do not understand, and those who see but never perceive the everlasting blessedness of the kingdom. And this hardened state, a hardened state of unbelief is illustrated in our text this morning. Uh, where Jesus has now returned to his hometown of, of Nazareth. He has arrived in their synagogue and he is preaching. He's preaching similar to what we would experience even now. Jesus arrives at their synagogue, he opens up the scriptures, and he preaches. And, and their initial response is very similar to the response that we, we see at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. His hearers are astonished. They marvel, they wonder at his teaching. And if we were to look at Luke's account of this um, episode in Jesus' life in Luke chapter 4, 
what we see is that Jesus came preaching the good news of the kingdom. That's exactly what we saw in the Sermon on the Mount. He was preaching and teaching the gospel of the kingdom. But in Luke's account, it says that he preached the kingdom from the prophet Isaiah. He preached good news to them, if you will, from Isaiah. And, and after he, he, he read that scripture, he proceeded to let those who were in the, in the synagogue hear these words. He said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus preaches the kingdom in his hometown, and he lets them know that he is the fulfillment. He is the one whom the prophets have foretold. He is, as we read earlier in Deuteronomy 18, he is the prophet who was promised, and that they must listen to him. He is the one who has come to usher in the kingdom of God. Yet despite the fact that he was declaring the kingdom which they had no doubt been anticipating, longing for, praying for, hoping in. Their, their, their desire was being presented to them. Their hopes were being offered to them. Yet, their astonishment and surprise quickly turned to offense. Instead of doing what Moses told them to do, instead of listening to his teaching with ears of faith, they rejected Jesus' teaching. They rejected his mighty works that he had done. Now, we need to ask this question, why? Why do they reject him? Why will they not listen to him? What is it that is causing them not to believe? Well, we, we find out that it's because they thought they already knew who he was. Instead of concluding that the wisdom that he had expounded from the prophet Isaiah and the power that he had exuded in, in healing many and, the, and casting out demons and all that they had heard from the surrounding towns and villages, instead of believing in him that he was sent from God the Father, they instead rationalized their unbelief because he was one of them. Do you see that in the text? They go on, they say, where, where did this man get this wisdom, these mighty deeds? And they, they proceed to ask questions. Is this not the carpenter's son? Don't we know his mother? Don't we know his brothers? Don't his sisters still live with us here today? And because they were so seemingly familiar with Jesus, they had concluded, well, then everything that he has to say must be bogus. Because we know him. And he can't be who he says he is, despite the great wisdom, despite the great power. And so what we're seeing here is what we've learned about the mystery of the kingdom. You cannot see who Jesus really is. You cannot see the kingdom if you do not have hearts who believe, hearts that will receive in their case, what they saw with their eyes and heard with their ears, it frankly was just too simple. It was frankly just too ordinary to be worthy of their faith, to be worthy of their reception. They too quickly concluded that they knew all there is to know about Jesus. Have you ever done that? Maybe come to Sunday morning as the Word's being prepared and you're like, oh gosh, I, I read that, there's nothing to be found. Maybe too quickly concluded, there, I know all there is to know about this text. I know all there is to know about Jesus. I don't need the church. I don't need to be here. 
This is what they had concluded. We grew up with Jesus. We've been around him. We, we know his family. Therefore, there's nothing he has to offer us. We know who he is and all he has to offer. And so with this superficial knowledge of him, they decided to reject him. And what I want us to see this morning is what a travesty this was. What a sad state of affairs this was. Because as Matthew concludes this chapter, what does he tell us in verse 58? He says, because of their unbelief, he did not do many mighty works there. In other words, because of their unbelief, because they would not listen to his words, what he spoke to them, the kingdom was not revealed. They weren't going to experience the power of the kingdom. Because they did not have hearts to receive, they do not see. They do not experience. And so, brothers and sisters, what I want to press upon us this morning is that there is a very real danger in unbelief. A very real danger and something that we must take heed to. We must be on guard against. Because this, this danger of just subtly unbelieving, it is so blinding, it is so deafening that an unbelieving heart doesn't even realize that they are blind to spiritual realities. It's so deafening, it is so blinding that they do not even see what they're missing out. That's why it's so dangerous. Well, how does such unbelief occur? Well, I don't have time to really unpack the psychology of it, but, but I think there's, there's two ways that this unbelief occurs. There's, there's the fact when individuals just reject the Word of God, Actively, they hear it and they disagree. No, I do not believe that. I think that's silly. I think that's foolish. That's dangerous, unbelief. Well, another form, maybe a little more subtle, one that, that perhaps would be more of a threat to us, those familiar with the things of Jesus, is a more passive unbelief. One that's just merely indifferent, that, that just turns it off, that sits, that goes through the motions, that honors Him with His lips, but your heart is secretly far from Him. You sit under the preaching and teaching of the Word, and, and you come on Sunday after Sunday, and, and maybe right now you're doing other things. You're cleaning the dishes, you're preparing breakfast, you're trying to multitask, and yet you don't even hear what you're not hearing. There's just a no expectation that when the Word of God is presented to you that you are hearing the living and abiding Word of Christ. It's just ordinary. It's just words on a text. It's just some guy that I know preaching and mouthing off and this is what I'm supposed to listen to. And so we come Sunday after Sunday. We, turn in, we tune in at oakparkbaptist.com slash live with no expectation of hearing from God. And maybe subtly we are indifferent to the Word of God and perhaps we 
we don't believe. And my prayer is that that would not be true of any of us. That would not be true and that we would see but not perceive. That we would hear things but not understand. And so for this reason, church family, I want us to stand on guard against the danger of unbelief. A danger which we're going to see blinds people from the grace, wisdom, power, and honor of Christ. It blinds you to everything that Christ has to offer. And we could be just like Nazareth. And he does nothing because of their unbelief. And so, as the writer of Hebrews exhorts, I want to exhort us. Take care, brothers and sisters. Lest there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. We must take care, friends. We must be on alert. We must be on guard. There's activeness. Can't you hear it? Activeness to be on guard against the danger of unbelief. Whether it's outright rejection or passive indifference. So that you may not be blinded to the mighty power of Christ's kingdom. And so what I want us to look at here as we, we, we examine the danger of unbelief, there's going to be a tendency, and, and I want to maybe put a caution here, to maybe hear me talking about the difference between weak faith and strong faith. That's not what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about faith and no faith. Even the faith of mustard seed is faith. Because the power of our faith is not in the in how much we can muster up or how much we can conjure up in ourselves. No, the power of our faith is the object of our faith. And even the faith of a mustard seed experiences the kingdom. Today, what I want us to think about is the difference between faith and and disbelief. And in order for us to take care and be on guard against disbelief, we must first understand that unbelief can blind you to the grace of Christ. Unbelief blinds you to the grace of Christ. Now, as we look at this text, you don't see anything about Christ's grace. There's The word grace isn't to be found, but, but I but I would offer to you that if we just dig a little bit, like treasure under the ground, we, we might see more than what meets the eye. In fact, in verses 53 and 54, there's a contrast that's presented to us. And I, I would offer a contrast between judgment and grace. Well, you might say, where is that? Well, let me show you. Jesus, as we're, we're told in verse 53, finished the parables. Seems to conclude an account where he had been teaching before those in Capernaum. He finishes the parables, and what does he do? He went away from there. He leaves the crowds in Capernaum. And for that city now, there, there's no more light. At least in the light of Christ in the presence that he's been there. There's no more opportunity. He has invited them. He has said as he's taught, he who has ears, let him hear. Come to me. Come and I will teach you the mysteries of the kingdom. But, but most did not come. 
The crowd stayed in their hardened state of unbelief. They could see, but they could not perceive. They could hear, but they could not understand. And Jesus continually stretched out his arms and said, Come to me. And most would have nothing of it. And so now here comes the time when he leaves. And they're stuck in their unbelief. This is judgment, my friends. There's no more opportunity for them to respond to the message of Christ. He has preached, he has invited, and most would not respond. And so he leaves them. What a state that would be. To have been surrounded, to have been right there before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you squander the grace. And so now in verse 54, he comes to his hometown and and he teaches, notice, in their synagogues, just a personal element. He comes among them. He comes to them. They weren't asking for him. They weren't seeking him. He arrives in their midst. And so whereas he's left Capernaum, he's now present here. And his presence, and always the presence of Christ, is grace in our life. Because now, for this hometown of Nazareth, he is about to present and invite them into the kingdom of God. He is about to extend grace to them. This grace that was once extended to Capernaum, but is now no longer available, is now before them. Now, I want you to think about this and contemplate a little bit more just the, the, the magnitude of what is occurring here. Before Jesus came to that synagogue, what would happen on a, a typical Saturday? Well, yes, the people would gather and they would open up the, the books of the law and the prophets and they would read and, and a rabbi would come and would expound the traditions of the scribes and Pharisees. And it would have no power to save. It would just be words. It would never be properly explained. As we saw in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. In their case, before Jesus came, they are in the situation that Paul describes to the Corinthians about the Jews in their day. To this day, Jesus, Paul says, whenever Moses is read, and he's talking about the, the synagogue, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. What do veils do? Veils keep you from seeing. There's a veil over their hearts. And Paul explains that the veil can only be removed when one turns to the Lord in faith. And I want you to think about this. You cannot turn to the Lord and call upon the name of the Lord unless you have heard. And you cannot hear, Paul says elsewhere, unless there is a preacher. But this day in Nazareth, there's a preacher. There finally is a preacher who will expound the truth of God's Word for them, who is the embodiment of this truth. What a grace has been offered to them. And this isn't just any preacher. This is a prophet. And it's not just any prophet. It is the prophet that God had promised to come, who would speak the words and show them the Father. Yet they do not perceive the grace that's afforded to them. Because they think they know all there is to know about Jesus. 
They have already concluded, nothing new here, move along. They've already concluded that. Their familiarity with Jesus has bred contempt for him. In their mind, he's always been around. Yeah, he's been gone for a year, a few months. But we grew up with the guy for 30 years. We've seen the boy around Joseph's carpenter shop. We've seen him grow up, and we're pretty sure he didn't go off to any schooling that that would give him uh, the authority to preach and teach the way he did. We've watched him. There is nothing impressive about this man. (laughs) Despite what we have heard around the surrounding villages, that he is doing these wonders. Yeah, right, we've been around him for 30 plus years. He's done nothing of a such here. We know Jesus. You can just see the superficiality. And their rationalization. And I can't help but wonder how many people today respond to the teaching, preaching of Christ's words in the same way. To this church. To the ministry of the gospel. To the church of the Lord Jesus Christ all over the globe. How many people drive by and they have no idea the grace that is afforded to them. Every time that we've knocked on doors and invited to come, and they have no idea how, how near eternal life has been to them, but they, they would have not because they look and say, man, those people just aren't impressive. There's nothing special going on there. And in their case, the God of this age has blinded their hearts. And they've concluded, maybe I've been to church. Maybe you think this. I've been to church all my life, and there's nothing new to be found about Jesus. And you come in and you say, oh, there's nothing profound here. I've read my Bible, done that. And you do not perceive how the mystery of the kingdom works. Unless you have a heart to believe, you will not see. So we don't realize maybe the grace that's extended to us even as believers, and we can sometimes fall into that trap of unbelief or just that subtle indifference. Wow, what would happen if we didn't have what we have? What would happen if, if I, no one ever told me the truth, if the true gospel hadn't come to me? We seem to quickly forget. And how many people just don't realize the grace that's around? Along with being blinded to the grace of Christ, there's also a a danger of being blinded to His wisdom. Unbelief will blind you to the wisdom of Christ. See, we see this here. After Jesus taught and expounded upon the favor of the Lord and the kingdom of God, what, what did they marvel over? Well, we see it in verse 54. Where did this man get this wisdom? You see it? Where did he get this wisdom? And so there's a, there's a sense in which they see. They have perceived, oh, there is a wisdom being presented to them. And they are wondering now, where has this come? Where has it come from? How has he learned these things? How has he been able to speak of things that we've never seen before? And so they begin to ask questions, and, and, and they focus on his, his heritage and, and their, his family, but the questions really surround, how, how did Jesus, how was he able to do this? How was he able to explain the Scripture this way? How was it that Jesus is able to declare with such authority, unlike the scribes, 
of our day. He, he speaks with clarity and authority and power and in a way that we've never heard anybody else preach. How is Jesus able to speak of such things? And the right answer would have been, my, we, we had no idea who Jesus was. My, we, we've never seen him perform these miracles, but wow, we must not have known who he was. He, he must be from God. He must be the prophet who would, be, who would come up from our midst that, that God has promised. He must be the Messiah. That would have been the right answer. But that's not what they concluded. No, they had presumed that they knew all there is. No, they would have said, yes, he's just merely the son of Joseph. He's the son of Mary. And we all know what kind of woman she is. And there's his brothers. They're very normal. And his sisters. And so they think they know who he is. But they don't realize, yes, what they say is true. He is a carpenter. But he's more than a carpenter. They think because they have some limited facts about Jesus, they know all there is to know about him. But they don't. He's more than what they perceive. And the same thing occurs today when the wisdom of Christ is preached. I see it. Even the Sermon on the Mount, which really summarizes, encapsulates the, the preaching ministry of Jesus. You will find many people will find it marvelous what he says. Many people will say, wow, what wisdom is found there. They'll even repeat things like, judge not lest you be judged. Or treat others as you would like them to treat you. Or turn the other cheek. The world knows the wisdom of Jesus, but yet there is a knowing that rejects. That doesn't believe. And so the world, or, or maybe some of you, Maybe you've sat here and you appreciate the virtues of the kingdom as detailed in the Beatitudes. And, and you love to hear, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those of pure in heart. Blessed are the merciful. You feel maybe challenged by the righteousness of the kingdom. Not to be given over to anger and sexual immorality. To speak truth and not to retaliate. You say, oh, those are, those are good things. Those, are, those, those challenge me to be a better person. Or you feel motivated when you, you see the piety of the kingdom where, where Jesus says, you know, what you give and how you pray and fast, it doesn't matter what people see or if they ever see you. It only matters what, what God sees. And you're, oh, you're motivated, inspired by those things. And maybe you're emboldened by the inside of the kingdom where Jesus tells us not to judge people hypocritically. And oh, you're like, that is wise. That is some golden nuggets. And oh, you love when Jesus says that you have a good Father in heaven who gives good things to, to those who ask. And you, and you want to treat others as, as you would want to be treated. And, and perhaps you, because you have this simple appreciation of his kingdom preaching and his wisdom, you feel confident, well, I've accepted the appeal to the kingdom. I believe in Jesus. I trust Jesus. I've built my life upon the rock. We just sang it. On the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Amen. You can affirm all that. 
but still be like a man who looks in the mirror and when he walks away, immediately forgets what he's seen and live a life void of the wisdom of Christ because you think, I mastered it. I appreciated it. I saw it. I marveled at it. I must get it. And so like Christ will often say, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. One of the most difficult and challenging things about pastoring, and this is true of my own heart, pastoring myself, teaching people, is to watch people who say, I believe the gospel. I believe Jesus. Oh yes, I, I agree with everything that he says. But then when you begin to apply his wisdom to their life, magically they are the exception clause. Oh, I've read a few blogs. I watched a couple of YouTube videos. I talked to this really insightful therapist. And frankly, they know better. They know my situation. They know my circumstances. And, and, and this stuff about Jesus and, and following his teaching and what the scripture says, actually, that's just too simplistic. You don't understand the, the trauma that I've been through, and you don't understand our situation, and the Bible just doesn't speak to me, doesn't speak to this situation. So, so that all the counsel that you have, it, 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 it doesn't apply. What happens in those moments? And we can all fall there. And, and again, I'm contrasting belief, who says, I trust God's word. I don't fully understand it, but I'm humbly submitting myself under it. And, and I'm trusting his ways are life and good and right for me and my family. I'm contrasting not weak faith and strong faith. But the one who comes in and says, no, 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 no. Yeah, those are great things, but they don't apply to me. And so we become appreciators of Christ's wisdom, but we're not applicators. We don't appropriate. It doesn't take root in our heart. And though we may look like we understand it on the surface, when it comes down to our daily life, it makes no difference. We live according to the wisdom of the world. And so like the crowd in, in Nazareth, have you ever concluded, well, there's nothing to be had here. This is too ordinary, too simple it doesn't speak to the complexities of my life and my family and my circumstances. And so while all it sounds inspiring, it really has no wisdom. And so in other words, to do what Jesus says would be foolish in your case. And you conclude as unbelieving that Christ's wisdom really isn't any wisdom at all. And so that unbelief keeps you from seeing, keeps you from coming, keeps you from exploring the endless riches of his wisdom, which guide you into the ways of justice, what's right, what's good, who watch over you and give you understanding, that deliver you from the way of evil and, and actually place you in the way of what is good. But because you've already exhausted it, and you've already concluded you know what Jesus has to offer, you never find the riches of his grace. You never find 
the riches of his wisdom. Rather, instead of trusting his wisdom, you believed your own wisdom. And when this occurs, there's a blinding. Unbelief is dangerous, my friends. It's very dangerous. It blinds you from both the grace and wisdom of Christ, but it also keeps you from experiencing his power. Unbelief blinds you to the power of Christ. And I want you to come back to verse 54. What, what all did they marvel? They not only marveled initially at his wisdom, but they also marveled at his mighty works. Do you see that? Where did this stuff come from? And of course, these were the works that they had heard about, the works he had performed in the surrounding villages and, uh, and towns of Capernaum and Corazon and Bethsaida. And we've gone through these, these, these accounts through Matthew's gospel, seeing Jesus healing many of various diseases, giving sight to the blind, raising the dead, casting out demons, healing the lame. And in doing so, he's fulfilling what Isaiah promised, that he would take our illnesses and bear our diseases. And so Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of all these things. Yet it appears his hometown was skeptical of what they heard. That's a, that's a sign of an unbelieving heart. I come with skepticism to the Word of God. And so they ask, how could this be? We know, again, we know Jesus. He did nothing like this in our presence, so he must not be able to do it, as they conclude. And so in all likelihood, as, as Jesus preaches and teaches the, the power of the kingdom, and though they had heard these things, they're like, we want to see it for ourselves. In fact, Luke tells us that that's precisely what they're asking, because Jesus says to them, doubtless you will say to me, physician, heal yourself. In other words, put your money where your mouth is, Jesus. We've heard all these great things, prove, prove it. And an unbelieving heart says, prove it to me, Jesus, then I'll believe. Again, I, I don't want to focus on the difference between weak and strong faith, but there is a comparison, isn't there? How many times have we done that? Jesus, show me. Show me what to do before I do it. Oh, well, it's right here in the Bible. Yeah, but I need, I need more. That's a, that's a danger. We don't want to go down that road. But maybe some of you are listening, and you always got a reason you can't believe. Because he hasn't done this. He hasn't done that. He hasn't shown you enough. And you're just like these here in Nazareth. And what a dangerous posture to have. Just think for a moment. If what is said about Jesus and what Nazareth had heard about Jesus was true. If you even had an ounce of faith. Oh my word. That's Jesus. I know him and he is doing these things. It's undeniable. The, the whole area is, is up in, in, in arms over him and, and just magnifying. We have seen and heard of, of his mighty works. You might think you'd have a little humility before him. You wouldn't have a posture of, well, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. But yet that's how they, they were. You'd think that they'd show a little more respect and humility if he is the one that everyone's kind of whispering about that he might be. If there's even a chance that he is the one, oh, I, I want to honor him. 
Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. But in their case, their pride has blinded them so much. And it has ensured that the very few works, that very few works would be done in their midst. They would not see what others had seen. Because they already had the posture of skepticism, of pride. And again, the same thing occurs today. Many have heard the power and the testimony of Christ and His kingdom. Around the globe for 2,000 years, the story of the church is remarkable of what Christ has done. The book of Acts is the continuation of the Gospels. And Luke tells us, it tells us what Christ continued to do, even though He has risen, ascended to the Father. We have read the stories. We have heard. We see the power of the gospel for salvation, the forgiveness of sins, the deliverance of sinners from the slavery of unrighteousness. The testimonies of of God's grace of freeing individuals trapped in sin and destruction, they just absolutely abound, don't they? Drunks are now sober. Thieves no longer steal. Adulterers are now faithful. The sexually deviant are now chaste. Enemies are now friends. Rebels are now orderly. Liars are now dependable. And brothers and sisters, that's just Oak Park. That's just what he has done in our midst, do we see? Do we hear the testimonies when we have them? Are you aware of the grace and the wisdom and the power that has been manifested and revealed among your brothers and sisters? Or do you say, no, he doesn't do those things. I don't believe. That's just a part not to mention what he's doing around the globe. Perhaps, and I want to emphasize perhaps because I'm contrasting faith and unbelief. Perhaps the reason some of you do not experience the power of Christ in your life is because you do not believe what you've heard about Him. You do not believe the testimonies, you do not believe the word that's preached, and therefore, You're blinded to the power of Christ in your own life. And so you don't obey Him when you're presented with the Word. You don't trust His ways because you want to see before you believe. But here's what Christians throughout the centuries have have always known. We believe in order to see. We don't see in order to believe. We believe in order to see. That's the mystery of the kingdom, what we've been seeing. But when unbelief characterizes your heart, you won't see the grace that's extended. You won't perceive the wisdom that is there. You won't experience the power of the kingdom. And as a result, you will not give him the honor due his name. You won't be a worshiper. Unbelief blinds you to the honor of Christ. And we see this in verse 56, or 57, excuse me. What was their ultimate response? Yeah, they had a, maybe a momentary wonder and amazement, but it quickly turned to offense at him. They were offended. 
They reject him. And Jesus responds to their rejection and he says to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, in his own household. And it comes back again. In their case, they think they know all there is to know about Jesus. And so they don't give him the honor due his name. Instead, they reject him. And Jesus really is like all the prophets of old. I encourage you, go, go read Stephen's preaching and sermon in Acts chapter 7, when, right before he's stoned. And he says, you are just like your fathers, always resisting the Holy Spirit. And he goes through the list of how they've rejected Moses all the way to David, and they have rejected Christ. The unbelieving heart hates God and hates his word. The believing heart loves God and loves his word. And Jesus is here presenting the word of God to them. He is the one in which Moses foretold in Deuteronomy 18 that, the, that God would raise up for you a prophet, listen, like me, from among you. And it is to him you shall listen. Get this, Nazareth was so blinded in unbelief, they couldn't see. They couldn't perceive. They couldn't, it wasn't even a category that the promised one had arisen from among them. And so they would not honor him. Here's where I think many people do not see, and maybe this is the state you're in, and what the state of many people who, who won't even tune in, who won't even hear, who will not even uh, entertain to listen to the gospel. Just like Nazareth perceived the commonality with them, that Jesus is likeness to them, we know him, we're, we lived among him, they perceive that as weakness. So many people look at the church. They say, there's nothing going on there. We've seen that church here for years, for decades, for months. Yeah, there's nothing special going on there. They're too much like us. We see, man, some of those people are sinners. Some of those people are struggling. And they, they get to know us and they realize, oh, wow, they, they don't have it all together. Well, there must not be anything special there. And, and the, the irony is here is that the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is the Lord of heaven, but he has humbled himself to become like one of us so that he could rescue us. They see the commonality of us as sinners and they presume that means they don't need us. They don't need the gospel. They don't need Jesus. But it's precisely his humbling and his weakness that identifies himself with us. They don't see the weakness of God, of Christ and the cross as the power of God to salvation. So if you have ears this morning to hear, if you have eyes to see, hopefully you've been looking at the text of Scripture and haven't been distracted on your phone. And you've listened. Jesus says this, Whoever hears my words and believes Him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death 
to life. Anyone who hears him and believes passes from judgment into life. If you're listening today, unbelief is too dangerous to flirt with. Unbelief is too dangerous to trifle with. Because the, at the present time, the most common form of judgment is what Capernaum experienced, is what Nazareth here experiences. God leaves you in your unbelief. God leaves you in your blind and deafened state. And you stay there until that day that Jesus talks about when the weeds are separated from the wheat. And they're thrown into the furnace and they're thrown into the fire. And you were like the blind leading the blind. You'll think you're wise in your own eyes and then suddenly destruction comes upon you. Like a thief in the night. Because you chose to walk in darkness. Brothers and sisters, we've come this morning to hear the word of Christ, haven't we? And maybe you're sitting here and you're struggling. And I imagine there are some of you who are sensitive consciences. And again, I want you to hear, I'm not talking about weak faith or strong faith. I'm talking about faith and no faith. But even us, how, how do we guard? What's practically, how do we guard? Well, when we come to the Word, both corporately and individually, we come with an attitude, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. So I want to end the sermon where I began. Quoting from Hebrews 3.12. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living.